Hi there, misfits. This is Kate. And this is Kale. Welcome to Horrorwood. Freaking out. I'm so excited. Do you have your skeleton costume ready? <laughs> oh, always. <laughs> um, I think this might be the last year for the skeleton costumes, but it will be Frankie's first year for her skeleton costume. So I'm very excited about that. <gasps> oh, and we're I all going to match. I know. I I'm that, that kind of dog mom. It's very cute. Do you have plans for Halloween? What are you doing? So uh, I'm going to see the Chainsmokers on that Friday. And I have no Saturday plans. We have very special plans for our listeners for Halloween. Yeah, we do. We're not going to talk about it. We're going to make you wait. But it's exciting. I'm excited. I'm excited. I am excited. Also, I love dressing up for Halloween, like costumes. Like, But I like, like clever, witty costumes. Mm-hmm. Last year, I dressed up, even though I was in a wheelchair. Remember when I was Miller Lite Girl, the girl that was on the poster? Oh, I I kind of do, I think. At Milliken. And I just told somebody recently, I was like, my dream costume, and this is ridiculous, but so great, is when they dress up in the tuxes on Tum, Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> And I want to wear the blue tux, so I need a partner to wear the orange. So listeners, if you're out there and you want a rad date, I'm your girl. Just dress up in an orange tux. Okay. Okay. I I want this for you. Thank you. Yeah. So stay tuned for the Halloween episode. And also the week before Halloween, we have a special thing. So it's just like fun things happening here, people. All around. But today is not going to be as fun because we're going to talk about uh, death, obviously. Obviously. Today we are jumping into the Wayback Machine and going to the early 1900s. Oh. Yes. Okay. We are talking about Peg Entwistle. Peg Entwistle is most famous as the girl who jumped to her death from the Hollywood land sign. Oh. In 1932. Oh, that's tragic. It is. And unfortunately, like, that's what she became known as. But mm. she's so much more than that. She was a very talented actress who won rave reviews for her work on stage. She was born Millicent Lillian Entwistle on February 5th, 1908 in Port Talbot, Wales in the United Kingdom. So shout out to our listeners in the UK. Uh, She grew up in West Kings. I'll say that again. She grew up in West Kensington, London. And uh, she came from a line of performers. Both of her parents were actors, and their names were Emily Stevenson and Robert Symes and Twistle. I think it's pronounced Symes. Now, is this are these stage productions that she started like with her family? I mean, this is 1900, yep. so like no color TV yet for sure. Her family did a lot of theater stuff, and so okay. she really grew up in that world. Unfortunately, though, her parents did not have a great relationship, and while Robert was on a tour for a gig, Emily wrote him and asked if she could come visit him. And he was like, sure. 
So she goes to see him, and while she's there, she tells him she never loved him or their child, Millicent. Oh, ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's an ugly... Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, an ugly... I was trying to say ugly thought, but then you said he said it. So then I was trying to say, how do you say something that's been said? Discussion? Conversation? That's an ugly statement. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> We're we're gonna we're getting there. We're getting okay, there. that's an ugly statement. We're getting warmed up here, guys. So yeah, so she Kaylee has not collected herself. I am not. Okay, okay, we're back. Um, so yeah, she just kind of <laughs> drops this bomb. <laughs> I'm not back. Oh my god. I'm okay. So sorry. Let me just get it all out. Yep. Get it out. Get it out. I have the giggles right now. Okay. Okay. I think I'm ready, maybe. Okay. We're sorry about that, everybody. We're back, (laughs) I think. So Emily, which was Peg's mom, Millicent, um, Millicent's mom, she tells Robert she never loved him and she never loved Millicent. And she also drops the bomb that she was actually in love with another man, an actor named Jules Shaw, and that she had been engaged to him before she even met Robert. That's fine and all, okay? Like, if you feel and realize you are in love with somebody, a, a different person, different guy, different gal, what, whatever it is, but to say that to your daughter, um... Well, not to her. About, about her. her. I mean, she was a baby. Okay. Well, she was a baby, still. yeah. Yeah, it's shitty. Robert and Emily divorced, surprise, surprise, in 1910. So Peg was just like a little toddler. Robert won sole custody of her, of course, because Emily didn't want anything to do with her. And as Peg got older, he told her that her mother had died because I'm sure he thought that was better than saying like she abandoned her. No social media then for her her to find her, her mom. Yeah, Peg never knew her biological mother. But she and her dad were tight. She really looked up to him and decided she wanted to be an actor just like him. She grew up in the theater world, so it all felt very natural to her. Robert's brother Charles was also an actor as well as a very successful talent manager. He worked for renowned producer Charles Froman, who was a big deal in the theater world. And... He was able to get his brother Robert a job with Froman working as a stage manager in New York. Oh, so they're in the UK and England, mm-hmm. close to London, it yep. sounds like. Yep. Are they going to make their way over to New York? Yep. Okay. Because Charles, Peg's uncle, he was already kind of back and forth between New York and London. Oh, I see. Yeah. So when Robert and Emily split, Charles got Robert a job working in New York So Robert brought Peg with him, and they arrived in July of 1913 aboard the SS Chicago. Just just a year before that, the Titanic sunk, right? 1912? Oh, yeah. But I do like the name of SS Chicago. I do too. And I wasn't even thinking Titanic. And yeah, Robert's brother Charles had recently met and married a woman named Jane Ross. She was a successful stage actress. And when Robert met her, he was like, ooh, got any sisters? And he was kind of joking, (laughs) 
but not really. And she was like, yeah, I do. As a matter of fact. So the following year in 1914, Robert married Jane's sister Loretta. So the two brothers married the two sisters. That's pretty adorable. I mean, I do love that. In the weirdest, greatest way. Yes. Uh, and Loretta was born in Kentucky, so I just had to throw that in there. Hey, two two references to you today, basically. This story was meant for me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. Peg was six years old when her father remarried, and she loved Loretta right off the bat. They got along oh, great. Good. Yeah. So Peg is growing up in New York now. She is surrounded by theater. And when she was just 12 years old, she got her very first role. She played Peter Pan in her school's production, which is just the cutest thing I can think of. You know what? I I feel like many people get their big breaks by playing in Peter Pan productions in their schools. Really? Is that like a thing? Uh, maybe uh, maybe it's something I can research <laughs> and look up because I don't know either I'm making it up and I just think that there's some kind of correlation or there really is because I, I feel like I've read articles where it's like in their in their grade school play they played Peter Pan or they played Wendy or I don't know whatever or Captain Hook well that's the role I would want to play so then she sees the f- play on Broadway called Peg of My Heart which was later turned into a silent film This is where she got the peg from. She decided to change her name to Peg from Millicent. After seeing that? Yep. Wow. I mean, Millicent is a name. I love that name. I love it. Millicent? It's cute. Like, you can shorten it to Millie. Oh, that's cute. Uh, Everything was going pretty well for the Entwistle family. Robert and Loretta had two sons that they named Milton and Robert. So she got some half-brothers. Yep, she's got two younger brothers now, and it seemed like they were all doing really well in New York. Like, they were settling in nicely, and things were going well. Unfortunately, though, this is typically when tragedy strikes. So, Loretta died suddenly of meningitis in 1921. So, Peg would have only been about 13 years old at the time, and the boys were little. That's a hard age to lose a a mother role. As a female like those teenage years yes and the boys were i think around like two and four or something they were just babies dad's got his hands full oh yeah so luckily peg's uncle charles and wife jane swooped in to help robert care for good good yeah they were really supportive as was loretta's family who all lived in ohio and michigan it sounds like A lot of them went to New York to help as much as they could. Uh, As much as Robert loved life in the theater, his dream was to open his own business, which he did. He had a specialty shop on Madison Avenue where he made these elaborate gift boxes for very wealthy clients. I mean, this was like a high-end sort of gifting experience. Okay. Yeah. Like a Tiffany's box, but better. Yeah, I mean, because these were like curated items, I think, that he would put together that were high-end pieces or what have you. It was when he was leaving his shop one day to go home that he was the victim in a hit-and-run accident. Please tell me he survived. For several days, yes. Oh, no. It was 10.30 p.m. on November 2nd, 1922, just a little over a year after Loretta had died. When a limousine struck him on Park Avenue at 72nd Street and witnesses said that they saw the limo driver get out and look at Robert and then just jump back into the limo and drive off. Ew. Yeah. 
Robert lay in a coma at the hospital for 47 days. Oh, wow. Before dying on December 18th, 1922. He's buried next to Loretta in Glendale, Ohio. Ohio? Because Loretta had family in Ohio. Okay. Yeah. So now Peg and her young stepbrothers, Milton and Robert, are orphans. But her uncle Charles and Aunt Jane adopted them. And in 1924, they enrolled Peg in Henry Jewett's Repertory School in Boston to study acting. Now it's the Huntington Avenue Theater. She was one of the Henry Jewett players, which meant she was performing regularly on stage in, you know, a bunch of different plays. Mm -hmm. She played different characters. Some were leads. Some were smaller parts. Like, that's kind of how their troupe worked. Do you think that they enrolled her there? I'm guessing she stayed in Boston because New York has so many performing arts schools. I mean, now, but then they probably did too because it was one less person that they needed to take care of or was Peg that serious about acting that they were looking for something to... Oh, I think she was just dead serious about acting and they wanted to support that. And I think this was like a new company at the time and so it was kind of like a big deal that was opening and she was going to be a member there okay okay that's awesome i think that was the situation uh and in 1925 when she was 17 years old her uncle charles's employer an actor that he was managing because remember he was a talent manager as Mm -hmm. well gave her her first broadway role well that's exciting it is i mean she's just a teenager right It was in a production of Hamlet starring Ethel Barrymore. Oh. And it was an uncredited part. So she had two jobs in the play. One was to carry the king's train and the other was to bring in the cup of poison. Oh, I want that job. Even though it was such a small part, she got noticed by the New York Theater Guild and became the youngest actress to be recruited. From a walk-on role. That's amazing because just think if she was, what, 15, just a couple of years, 17, okay, just a few years before, she had some serious trauma in her life. Exactly. Yes. And unfortunately, you know, I just don't think the resources were available back then to really allow her to process all of that. So acting was kind of like her her saving grace, if you will. Mm Mm-hmm. That same year that she was recruited by the Theater Guild, she played Hedvig in The Wild Duck by Henry Gibson. And Betty Davis, who was also 17 at the time, went to see it and afterwards told her mom that she wanted to be just like Peg and Twistle. And she claimed wow. that Peg was her inspiration to study acting. Incredible. So, so Betty Davis actually started at a little bit of a later age then. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is like uh, that was 1925. So four years later, Betty played that role of Hedvig that she had seen Peg in, which is just like a oh my gosh, nice little full circle. That's really cool. I like full circles. Yeah. Peg was often cast as a comedian, usually playing the attractive ingenue. And she once told a reporter, quote, I would rather play roles that carry conviction. Maybe it's because they're the easiest and yet the hardest things for me to do. To play any kind of an emotional scene, I must work up to a certain pitch. If I reach this in my first word, the rest of the words and lines take care of themselves. But if I fail, I have to build up the balance of the speeches. And in doing this, the whole characterization falls flat. I feel that I'm cheating myself. I don't know whether other actresses get this same reaction or not, but it does worry me. Which is just like, she was very it's so committed. so profesh, yeah. But for her to have it at a younger age, 
shows the discipline because you have to be yeah. disciplined when you do something like that. Yep. And I think, yeah, she was very serious about her career and it's, I mean, she went for it full force. She was working regularly on stage and won rave reviews in pretty much every show she did. Even if the play itself was bad, critics would still single her out as giving a great performance. That's great. I mean, that's what that's what you want if you're in a bad show. I mean, exactly. That's really all you can hope for. Right. You still want to be able to do your best. So Brooks Atkinson, who was the theater critic at the mm -hmm. time. He worked for the New York Times. Huge name. Huge. I mean, yeah, there is a theater named after him. Right. His reviews could make or break a production. He wrote a review of Peg when she appeared in the play The Uninvited Guest, where he said, quote, Peg and Twistle gave a performance considerably, considerably better than the play warranted. So she was a standout. Mm -hmm. In 1927, at the age of 19, she married another actor, Robert Keith. About a year later, Peg found out that her husband had actually been married twice before. Is he older than her? I mean, yeah, he was 10 years older. Okay. Okay. Because I'm like, well, she was only 19. I know mm -hmm. people married younger back then, but. Yeah. So she was his third wife. And that's a little fact that he forgot to mention when they were together. Plus, he had a son with his second wife, which he also had not told Peg about. Oh, surprise, you're a stepmom. <laughs> Exactly. So I have a feeling he probably wouldn't have even told Peg about his previous marriages and kid if it weren't for the fact that his son's mother, actress Helen Shipman, had to go on tour. And she was like, hey, Robert, you've got to take care of Brian while uh, I'm gone. Wow. Yeah. Is that really his name? Yeah, it was. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Brian Keith was six years old when Peg reluct reluctantly became his stepmother. Brian was a child actor. Just a lot of, there's a all, lot of. Yeah, all the acting. <laughs> all the acting. Uh, Brian was a child actor who went on to have a very successful career. He was the lead in the show Family Affair, which ran during the late 60s through the early 70s. He was also the dad in The Parent Trap, the original one with Haley Mills. Really? Yeah, he was Mitch Evers. He was the dad. Oh, wow. His IMDb is like a mile long, so you should look at that. I should. Sadly, Brian died by suicide. He shot himself. I mean, he was in a, in, like way into adulthood. I was going to say, was he adult? Okay. Yeah. Um, he shot himself two months after his daughter also died by suicide. So wait. So, okay. Little Brian, six years old, grows mm -hmm. up, has all these acting roles. Huge career. Parent yep. trap, huge career. Mile long, IMDb. Mm -hmm. um, shot himself. Mm -hmm. And before he did that, his daughter did it? Yeah. Like, oh. I don't wow. know if she, like she took her life. Died by, um, by a gunshot. gunshot but okay. yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It's just a lot of tragedy that runs throughout this whole episode. Uh, in 1929, a year after Peg became Brian's stepmother, she divorced Robert on the grounds of infidelity, concealing mm. he had a child, and cruelty. He was cheating on her and also beating her. And oh, at one no. point, she said he had torn a clump of hair out of her head. I have had that happen to me, and it is not. Someone did that to you? It, it was a, a former student. Oh, oh, okay. 
I mean, I can look back at it and kind of laugh now because, you know, his reaction was just like, let me grab her hair. It's right there, right? And so we have these like safety tactics to get out of that kind of hold or whatnot. And I was using this safety care method and I, you know, got out of it, except that he still had a little bit left. And then when I, I didn't realize, you know, because he had little tiny hands and I was like, oh, Oh, yep. I definitely felt that. And the funniest part about this, which is probably not too funny, but it is for me because it happened to me so I can laugh. He takes the tuft of hair that's left in his hand. He goes, ew. (laughs) I was like, "Um, well, buddy, you pulled it out. You're like, thanks. (laughs) That's my head. My hair of head. Head of hair. Anyway. (laughs) Rewind. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so do do they get papers back then or they get served? Like uh, divorce papers, you mean? Yeah. I think so. Um, okay. But I mean, it wasn't like he was surprised by her divorcing him. Right. I mean, there was a lot going on there. Yeah. During the two years that they were married, she didn't accept any acting jobs. So it's believed that he also made her quit working. But while they were going through their divorce, Robert was supposed to pay back alimony to his ex-wife or he was going to end up in jail. But apparently he didn't have it. And so Peg ended up paying for it. Oh. After their divorce, she got back into acting. But unfortunately, this was right when the Great Depression hit. Oh, so like this is 1919-ish, roaring 20s-ish. This is late, late 20s. 24, 29. Okay. Yeah, like around 29. People just didn't have money to go to the theater. So the majority of plays were flops because they couldn't afford to stay in production. Her last Broadway play was called Alice Sit by the Fire in 1932. Interesting name. The play also starred Lorette Taylor. She's most known for originating originating the role of Amanda Wingfield in Tennessee Williams' The Glass Menagerie. She was very well known at the time. Unfortunately, Lorette was suffering from alcoholism and missed some performances, so they had to refund the audience, and the show got canceled. I was going to say, and there wasn't that much money probably to refund anyway because nobody could afford to go to the show. Exactly. So they canceled the show, and Peg, along with the other actors, They were originally supposed to receive a percentage of the box office gross plus their salary. They ended up only getting paid a week's worth of pay. Oh, that's that's harsh. And yeah, imagine like you're already kind of suffering in the the money department when you're going through a time like that Mm -hmm. and you're depending on something. So she yeah, she's like paying this guy's alimony that she's divorcing. That's the Great Depression. Um She's not getting paid her actual salary. So things are a little rough. It was at this time that silent film was dying out and talkies were becoming the thing. So with the New York theater scene struggling, a lot of stage actors migrated west to California, including Peg. And their work Uh on stage gave them an advantage to the silent film actors because stage actors were used to talking. And so they... They, had an in over like these other actors who actors who had been never silent. had to do that. Yeah, they never had to do ah, that. Ah, yeah. In April of 1932, Peg moved to LA and into the Hollywood Studio Club, which was a rooming hotel for women. So I guess like kind of like a hostel. But she wanted to save her money, so she soon moved in 
with her uncle Charles and Aunt Jane. Again, back at it again. Okay. They had moved out to California a couple of years earlier when Charles decided to pursue film. So it all kind of worked out. She had part of her family back. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Things are looking a little more up. Yeah. And so she's got, you know, her her people with her. Uh, they lived at 2428 North Beachwood Drive in Hollywood. And pretty much right away, Peg got a role in a play called The Mad Hopes, starring Billy Burke. Billy Burke was a successful actress in radio plays, Broadway, silent film, talkies, you name it. And you might recognize her name from The Wizard of Oz. She was Glinda the Good Witch. I almost said The Wizard of Oz. I was kind of like, is it The Wizard of Oz? And I could funny. see it in your face. Like I was, I could see you forming the words. <laughs> Humphrey Bogart was also in the play. Big names coming out now. Exactly. And Flo Lawrence, uh, she was a theater critic for the Los Angeles Examiner. She gave the play a very favorable review. She said, quote, in the cast, Peg Entwistle and Humphrey Bogart hold first place in supporting the star Billy Burke and both give fine, serious performances. Well, of course there was a praise because we know Peg Entwistle does not not get Exactly. She, I mean, she was very well trained. She had a lot of experience under her belt with her New York work. So right off the bat in LA, she's kind of making a splash. The play ran from May 23rd to June 4th. And Peg's success on stage soon landed her a contract with RKO Pictures that same year. Okay. In July, she filmed her first and only screen credit, that of Hazel Cousins, a small supporting role in the high-budget thriller 13 Women. It was one of the first female ensemble films, and it influenced the slasher film genre. Okay, and this is this is still black and white? Yeah. Okay. It's had some problems. One Uh-oh. being that Myrna Loy, a white red-headed actress, played the role of a woman who was half Javanese, She also did an entire feature film in blackface, so Mm. some pretty awful decisions being made here. Unfortunately, when screened by critics, 13 Women was panned, and the studio ended up cutting the majority of Peg's screen time, mainly because her plot lines involved, quote, taboo subjects like lesbianism. Like, uh uh-oh, can't show that on screen. For her, I mean... At this point, probably best not to be um, having your name associated with that film anyway. It's too bad that that's why they panned it, but sounds like it had some problems, some huge problems to begin with. It did have a lot of problems. It's just weird that like, okay, you can show this. I mean, granted, that's what was going on back in the day. Right, right. You can show this woman, you know, who's playing an entirely different race, but draw the line at two women in love. Two women. Yes, right. RKO then informed Peg they would not be renewing her contract. By today's standards, Peg was actually doing really well in L.A. when you think about it. She just moved there, immediately won rave reviews in a play that had big names attached, got a movie contract, got her first role on screen. And this is all within like like three months time, four months time. It's also making me think back to the beginning of this episode when you said how she died. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, now and now we're closer to the Hollywood sign. We're in California. So I know something's coming. It's not taking a good turn. <sighs> Peg was feeling distraught. 
she hadn't been in L.A. long and she was struggling. She'd just been dropped by the studio and she found that it was hard for her to stand out in L.A. because there was so much competition and she was at a low point. 1932 was the worst year of the Great Depression and no one had money. So she couldn't afford to go back to New York and there just weren't any stage roles to be had in L.A. Today, we would say like, oh, she's struggling with her mental health. She could use some help. Right. And what's crazy about this is 1932, I believe around there is that first color palette going on into the films. I mean, it's about to break off into something huge. I feel like these tragedies always happen right before something big could happen. And I feel like you're about to go there. So yeah, that's the thing. Like, you you just don't know what's waiting behind the next door, you right. know? And like that dark twist of fate, you know? It's like, ugh. But she had also been dealing with so much since her childhood that never right. really was addressed. I mean, she lost her parents at a young age. Yeah. She was in a horrible marriage. And once, you know, she had this rejection, which honestly, she wasn't used to a lot of rejection. I mean, she she got a lot of praise. She got her, ro- yeah, roles and praise, yeah. So when she got dropped, her mental health took a steep decline. And back then it just wasn't something that people talked about or knew how to seek help about, unfortunately. It felt like probably there's one way out. I mean, it's like, you know, left or right hand. Left or right hand. One or the other. Oh, 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 I got it. I got it. I got it. For a second I was like, it's the left or the right. I don't know. (laughs) Okay, got it. So on the evening of Friday, September 16th, 1932, She let her aunt and uncle know that she was going to go meet up with some friends at a nearby drugstore, and plus she wanted to buy some books, she said. However, Peg did not go to meet friends. Instead, she hiked up Mount Lee to the Hollywood Land sign. Sorry, is she in like her late 20s by now? She's 24. Oh, not even late 20s. Good grief. She's so young. She's so young. Okay. Most people refer to it as the Hollywood Hills, but it's actually named Mount Lee. It's a peak in the Santa Monica Mountains located in Griffith Park. And the sign is located on the southern slope of the mountain. Um, This was before the land part of the sign was removed. So it did say Hollywood Land. And during this time, the sign had lights on it. So it was all lit up. It was lit up. Mm Mm-hmm. The letters of the sign were 50 feet tall. Uh, The sign has since been redone. They're now 45 feet, but, you know, still. They're tall. Yeah. There's a rumor that she was intoxicated when she went there, but her autopsy revealed no signs that she'd been drinking. When she got to the sign, there was a workman's ladder leaning against the back of the H, and she placed her jacket and purse on the ground, then climbed up the ladder 50 feet to the top of the H and jumped to her death. And as I said, she was only 24. So there's a a ladder there. Mm -hmm. If the ladder hadn't been there, I mean, what could have happened? And why was the ladder there? Well, And did she know it was there? Even if it hadn't been there, I mean, we're talking about like a mountain that she could have, you know. She could have anywhere. Okay. Yeah. Uh, It wasn't until two days later on Sunday, September 18th, that a female hiker was hiking through Griffith Park and came upon a shoe, jacket, and purse. She looked inside the purse for identification, but there wasn't any. But she did find a note. And the note read, She left behind a note. I am afraid. I am a coward. I am sorry for everything. If I had done this a long time ago, it would have saved a lot of pain. 
and it was signed with the initials P.E. Oh. The hiker looked down and saw Peg's body about a hundred feet below, so she gathered up the items that had been lying there and set them on the steps in front of the Hollywood police station, but she didn't go in. Instead, she oh. called the station and said, I was hiking on the Hollywood mountain, and near the Hollywood land sign, I found a woman's shoe, jacket, and purse. In the purse, I found a suicide note. I looked down the mountain and saw the body. I don't want any publicity in this, so I wrapped up the purse, shoe, and jacket and laid the bundle on the steps of the Hollywood police station. And she refused to identify herself and hung up. And to this day, we don't know who called. Nope, we don't know. Police went to the scene, and when they found Peg's body, it was very mangled, obviously. Mm -hmm. And since she didn't have any ID on her, they didn't know who she was. So she was in the county morgue as an unidentified woman. Meanwhile, Peg's uncle and aunt are getting worried about her. Very curious. Where is our niece? Yeah, they assumed she was with friends, but thought it was weird that they hadn't heard from her in a couple of days. The police published Peg's suicide note in the newspaper in the hopes that maybe someone would know who she was. So her uncle Charles was reading the paper and reads this article oh, about a woman it. jumping and sees the initials oh. P.E. And so he put two and two together. So Monday, September 19th, he goes down to the morgue and identifies Peg's body. During her autopsy, it was determined that the impact did not kill her right away. Oh. Yeah. She was actually alive for quite a while and suffering in severe pain. Yeah. She eventually succumbed to her injuries and her official cause of death was internal bleeding by multiple fractures of the pelvis. It's been widely reported that just a day after she died by suicide, a letter arrived for her at her uncle Charles's house. And once he found out that she had died, he opened the letter. It was from what is now called the Beverly Hills Playhouse. And they were offering her the lead role in a play, which ironically was about a woman who dies by suicide. Now, I don't know if that's a rumor, but I did see it in a lot of sources. That is. It's just spooky. It's spooky. Very spooky. And of course, Charles was angry that they hadn't just called her. Instead, they sent it through the mail, which I think it was postmarked the day before. I think it was postmarked September 15th, the day before she went. Uh, how grim though. And, and yeah, it's, it's, there's so many, I feel like in many of these episodes, there's so many, not coulda, shoulda, woulda, you can't really do it that way. It's more of like placement time just by the nick of something like Mm -hmm. Rebecca Schaefer, for instance. Yeah. It's like the intercom wasn't working that day. It's just like, right. Peg's body was cremated and her ashes were sent to Glendale, Ohio, where she was buried next to her father in Oak Hill Cemetery. Unfortunately, she's famous for her death, but I have no doubt that she would have been famous as a very successful actress. Yeah. I mean, she was just getting started. So I just feel like she could have had that really robust. Yeah, I think she was going to really take off. Yeah. Uh, There are several references to Peg in various songs and TV shows. 
probably the most notable or most well-known, the Ryan Murphy miniseries Hollywood that was on Netflix a couple years ago. It was about the making of a movie called Meg, which was based on Peg Entwistle's career and death. Oh, okay. I have a question for you. Yeah. I'm assuming, have there been suicidal deaths on the Hollywood? Um, I know it's like since then or... I- so I looked that up. Okay. She is... I mean, if this is accurate, she is the only one because they fenced it. You can't get to the sign now. Okay. Like I was saying, there are like a lot of songs and TV shows that are kind of inspired by her. Oh, right. A lot of people say that Lana Del Rey's song Lust for Life is referencing her suicide because the lyrics are like climbing the age of the Hollywood sign. We're the masters of our own fate. Mm. Only the good die young. Um, but Lana Del Rey was asked about this in an interview, and mm-hmm. she said she'd never heard of Peg and Twistle or her story. Ooh, that's that's kind of like alarming a little bit, like kind of like, oh, interesting. If you think of, um, we've talked about this before, having that second life or something, maybe, maybe Peg is in Lana somehow, or I don't know. Okay, I'm not going to go there, but you know what I mean. Well, Peg is definitely still around, and we'll talk about that. <gasps> Yeah. Does she make appearances at hotels? Uh, no, but she does make appearances near Griffith Park. Oh. Yeah. Um, I will say one song that is definitely about her is the song Gardenias by the band Protest the Hero. Peg's favorite flower was gardenias, and it was also her signature scent. She liked wearing gardenia perfume. And the song makes a lot of references to her suicide and even quotes part of the note that she left. And the band who created the song or wrote the lyrics to it, like, did they have, what's the correlation there? So many artists have created some piece of work based on her. I think that was just theirs. Like, they were inspired by her and made the song. There are many reports of hauntings near the area where she jumped. Hikers, joggers, even park rangers all claim to have encountered Peg. And the accounts are always similar. They see a blonde woman dressed in 1930s clothing, and people always describe her as looking really sad. And one thing that stands out is they smell an overwhelming scent. Of gardenia. (gasps) Yep. Her favorite flower, her favorite scent. There are no gardenias that grow in the area. Yeah. Wow. We walked up there when you first moved. Yep. So were we in that park particularly though, or we were just kind of like, okay, I vaguely remember that, but I have a picture of myself pointing to the sign. Yeah. We were actually on the street where she lived. That's where we drove up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, we parked your car and then walked. That's right. Yeah. Um, And we went about as close as we could get and we encountered that weird guy. Do you remember him? Yeah. Who invited us to some Hollywood party? Wasn't Which I'm like sure a, was not real. <laughs> probably not. No, I think I think we would be on a podcast right now. Yeah, like not as co-host, but like as the subject. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Park ranger John Arbogast states that he has seen Peg several times. It's always late at night, and particularly when it's foggy out. Uh, a woman by the name of Megan Santos was jogging along the trail in Griffith Park when she started sneezing, seemingly out of nowhere. Because of the floral smell? Yep. She told Vanity Fair that there was this overpowering scent of gardenias, and she saw, quote, this woman with blonde hair, and she seemed to be walking on air. Immediately, I ran the other way. <laughs> oh. Others have reported a sense of foreboding, just like a heavy energy. 
and people like that have, are out walking their dogs in the area, they say their dogs will just freeze. They won't go any further or they're like hide behind their owner or whatever. And a lot of people say that they see a young blonde woman again in 1930s clothing who looks confused or disoriented and she's walking towards the Hollywood sign, but her footsteps don't make any sound. And then she just vanishes. Oh. Also, this is this was what creeped me out. There are motion sensors and alarms installed near the sign, and it's all fenced off, like I was saying, so you can't actually get to it. Right. The sensors and alarms will go off when there is nothing physically there. And that park ranger that I mentioned, John Arbogast, mm-hmm. He said, quote, there have been times when I have been at the sign and the motion detectors say that someone is standing five feet away from me. Only there's nobody there. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Oh, my God. I just showed Kate a picture of me pointing to the Hollywood sign from this park that we're talking about. And not only this, right after this is there, there's a picture of the gnome with the Hollywood sign. Remember when I used oh to Oh my take God, the gnome. I, the gnome. The gnome just kind of went away. You know, I should bring the gnome back, to be honest. Yeah. I feel at gnome when I, <laughs> I have the gnome out. Amazing. I love it. Um, in 1990, a man from North Hollywood was with his girlfriend and they were walking their dog on a Beechwood Canyon trail. All of a sudden, the dog just stopped and starts whining. And they said they'd never seen him act that way before. Like they could not get him to budge. And they couldn't tell what was causing it until they noticed a woman walking nearby. And they said that she was dressed in 1930s clothing, which they didn't think much about because they were just like, meh, it's Hollywood. Right. But they said she looked like she was in a daze. And so they thought she was on something. And they were like, "Mm, maybe we'll just go a different way. And then the guy said that the woman just vanished right in front of them. Ooh. They did not know who Peg and Twistle was or know anything about her jumping from the sign. So it wasn't until later when they were like reading about like Hollywood hauntings and stuff that they learned about it. And they were like, oh, my God, we saw her. Uh, We got we need to go back to this park. You know, I was thinking that, but like, also, I'm kind of scared. But like, also, yeah, I do want to go. Others have reported seeing a young blonde woman standing this. Okay, this would freak me the fuck out. Uh, They've reported seeing a young blonde woman standing at the top of the H who then jumps off. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. I can't. I know. And they've gone to search the area to see if they could help, but then they don't find anyone. Oh, see, I'd rather her just haunt the area, but not relive that tragic moment of her own death, right? Exactly. Like, haunt me all you want, you know, smell, smell like gardenia. That's great. I, I would love to smell that. Love gardenias. Love it. Right? Wear your 1930s garb. Yes. Mm-hmm. Have your blonde hair and we can look like sisters. It's fine. But no. We're, we're not going to that age. We're not reliving that moment. No. Nope. No, thank you. Ghost. Okay. All right. So yeah, we should, we should go there at some point. Absolutely. I'll take the gnome. Take the gnome. <laughs> did I ever name the gnome? I think you named it Nomi. Nomi? I think I did too. <laughs> and then I became Naomi Nomad on Instagram. Oh my gosh. Yeah. See, full circle. It's all yep. coming full circle. Maybe we need to have a new name for the gnome and our, our, our listeners can, can vote on that. Yeah. Oh, I like that. If you have ever experienced the spirit of Peg, 
let us know. Please. We need to know if you've smelled her, seen her, sensed her, all the yeses. Yes. And you can tell us about it if you email us at horrorwoodpodcast at gmail.com or on social media at horrorwoodpodcast or Twitter at horrorwoodpod. Any other things? All, all the essence, <laughs> all the social meads. The social meads. You know what? I have to say, it's a, is it weird that I say, oh, I really liked that one. That's weird. But you know what? Like, I get it. I like learning about this stuff. So like, I, you know, I think that's what it is. It's just like interesting history to learn about. And you know what? Here's another S for you. I love stories. Yeah. I love, I wish that all of the people... The people that we have kind of researched or investigated and whatnot, Mm -hmm. I wish they could tell their own story. Oh my God, yeah. It's even more fascinating when when you can tell your own story. I love stories. I love stories about people. I I love when somebody can share their own story. That's what I loved about Marilyn Monroe's book, My Story. Like hearing those things in her words, Mm -hmm. it was fascinating to me. People should be able to tell their own story. But it's like Hamilton, who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Yeah. I'm an open book, so you guys can just tell my story away. Let me know what it is. Be great. <laughs> yeah. I, that felt like a good win for like spooky time, October, Halloween's coming up. Oh, yeah. I got, I had a little bit of the chill. Oh, good. Good. I did. When, especially, especially like some of the end sightings. Ooh, yeah. The dog. Crazy. Yeah. Dogs know. They sense things. Yeah, I mean, so, remember Frankie? Yeah. Yeah. And another thing with Frankie. So there is one particular street that we get about halfway down. She freezes. She looks terrified. She'll like oh. shake. She'll start pulling me the other way. What happened on that street? No idea. Because I w- there will literally be no one there. No one. And oh. she's freaking out. And so I'll like start to go the other way and she will take off running. It's really creepy, actually. Something must, you need to look up that street or uh, give me the street name and I'll look it up and see if I can find anything. Okay. Yeah. I got, yeah. Cause it's, it's a little creepy. All right. Well, stay spooky. And we will see you. I always say that. We're not going to see you. But we might. You never know. This is not a visual medium. Yeah, I would love to do a tour at some point. In my heart, I am seeing you. All the beautiful souls. All of them. them. Um, We love you, Misfits. Once a Misfit, always a Misfit.